Welcome to the Redemption Church Podcast, located in Seattle, Washington. As a church, we are a community striving to be faithfully present to God, self, and others. We hope this is an encouragement to you in your life, no matter where you are. Thanks for joining us. All right, family, let's jump into the scriptures for this evening. Um, We're going to be talking about Jesus taking away our shame tonight. And so let's begin where the scripture introduces this idea of shame, where it broke in. In Genesis chapter 1 and 2, we read that God created Adam and Eve in his own image and likeness. He made them male and female. God made Adam and Eve to rule with him in the Garden of Eden as royal ambassadors and to multiply and fill the earth. This is what, uh, as, as his image bears, to establish God's reign and dominion in the world. They're instructed to obey God in all ways, and God had given them incredible freedom. And in the freedom that he gave, he gave one command to stay away and to not take of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Adam and Eve rebelled. Eve went to the tree, believed the lie of the serpent that God was holding out on you. God doesn't want you to be like him. God's withholding something from you. And so Eve took the the fruit, ate of it, and gave it to her husband, Adam. And he agreed that this was a good thing to do. And so rather than being with God, they chose to attempt to become God. And in so doing, brought sin into the world. This is what theologians call the fall. And it's in that moment when they eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that it says that their eyes are opened and all of a sudden they saw themselves as naked and became ashamed. And so they sewed fig leaves together to cover their bodies and they hide themselves. They hide themselves from God They hide themselves from each other, and they hide themselves even from their own selves. They were naked and full of shame. And God went looking for them in the garden. It says that he used to walk with them in the cool of the day, in the the afternoons, they would walk together. And God came looking for them and called out to them. And as they confess, God tells them that he's going to send them out of the Garden of Eden. And the fig leaves that they had sewn together for themselves were insufficient to cover their own shame. They're brittle and they break. And so God, it says, takes an animal, presumably a a lamb, and he sacrifices an animal and sews together clothing for Adam and Eve. God is in the business of covering up and taking away shame from the very beginning. So shame is part of the universal human experience. It doesn't matter what your occupation, your gender, your age, or socioeconomic class. Shame is part of the universal human experience. And so in our shame, we try to cover it up or cope with it throughout our lives. And we can do this in any number of ways. 
I'm no therapist, and I, I've read Brene Brown, but that's about it. And I've done my dissertation and some of my research is in the field of shame. But this is quite the complex field to get into. But the way we cope with our shame can manifest itself in all kinds of ways, all kinds of beliefs that then give rise to certain kinds of behaviors. So our shame isolates us. When we're full of shame, we withdraw from friends, family, community, God. It isolates us. Shame may even drive us to do good works in order to atone for our shame, to cover our shame. Our shame causes us to keep a distance from each other, you know, to stand off. I don't know if you're like me, um, but when I know that I'm in sin and, um, and I feel quite convicted over my sin, I will be tempted to keep my distance from God, to kind of walk it off, take another lap, because I don't really belong. But that's not a proper Christian thinking at all. That's called condemnation. Conviction from God is always restorative and is never punitive. So our shame causes us to do all kinds of things. And people, you know, as we hide from God, you can hide from God in any place. It doesn't have to just be the most obvious places committed to sin and debauchery and immorality and all the rest. You can hide from God in a church building as well as you can hide from him in a club. It's that simple. In fact, that's what Jesus was consistently confronting with the religious leaders. You quote Bible verses all day long. Your lips are near, but your hearts are far away. That it's, it's possible to be in physical proximity to Jesus and still be miles away from him, i.e. Judas. Shame can cause us to do a lot of things. And they're always destructive things. Because shame, at its core, I think, makes us less human. And if there's anything Jesus is committed to, it's you becoming a whole human being. What else would abundant life be in the spirit than becoming a whole human being? A whole human being that knows how to forgive. A whole human being that can speak truth to power. A whole human being that works on relationships. A whole human being that extends mercy. A whole human being that sees someone in need and runs toward that need. Rather than saying, well, they probably got themselves in that situation and you reap what you sow. No, whole human beings move in compassion. Jesus is interested in us in becoming whole human beings. That's why Paul called him the second Adam. We'll talk more about that on Easter Sunday. So shame causes us to do a lot of things. And Jesus is interested in taking away our shame. In Matthew chapter 1, Joseph is instructed, you'll name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. He has his job description from the womb. He will save his people from their sins. That is the mission of Jesus. There's a lot of people that will try to grab Jesus and hijack Jesus and say, actually, he's about this, or actually, he's about that. 
And while Jesus's life and ministry speaks into all kinds of things in our world, his primary mission was to come to take away sin. You will name him Jesus. He will take away your sins or he will save you from your sins. In Matthew 26, as Meg just read, that theme is picked up again. He will take away our sins. Listen to what it says. As they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup. When he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Throughout the Old Testament, the cup always represents the wrath and judgment of God. And so Jesus is painting a very clear picture for the disciples that they didn't understand, certainly in the moment, as Jesus is at the Passover. And yet Jesus is pulling together all these themes of a lamb that would be substituted blood would be shed the destroyer would then pass over when I see the blood I will pass over Jesus is doing pulling all these themes together because he is Israel's Messiah and he is the Savior of the world take eat drink I'm going to give my life as a ransom for many I'm going to take away your sin I'm going to be your Yom Kippur. And so when Jesus, when Jesus went into Good Friday, he was shamed by three people groups. And they shamed him in ways that were unique to their own anthropological setting and sociological context the disciples when Jesus invited the disciples to follow him and follow him intensely the disciples fell asleep on him rather than finding men of faith and sacrifice the disciples shamed Jesus by falling asleep in the hour of prayer the disciples rather than remaining loyal the disciples betrayed Jesus rather than proclaiming Jesus the disciples denied Jesus those are three ways in which his own disciples brought shame onto Jesus and then they were the Romans. The Romans crowned Jesus with a crown of thorns. This is part of the adorning. They crown him, Ave Caesar. They crown him with a crown of thorns. They put a reed in his hand to resemble a scepter. They took a rug off the floor and put it onto Jesus. and mocked him in that way. 
brought incredible shame onto Jesus. And then the Jews, the Jewish authorities, shamed Jesus. The Jewish authorities called for for Jesus' crucifixion, but prior to that, they mocked Jesus. They mocked Jesus, and in an honor-shame context, they're trying to bring Jesus' status as low as possible. They beat Jesus. If you and I were to see somebody wounded today, we feel for them. But in an honor-shame context, in the first century especially, a beaten body was known as a dishonored body. And then they call for Jesus' crucifixion. And I'm not going to go into all the gruesome details tonight on what goes into this horrible, horrible day. Um, but one point I want to make tonight about Jesus' crucifixion is that it was more than just a torture device. Cicero had outlawed speaking of crucifixion publicly amongst the Romans. So if you crucify somebody, you forget them forever. You erase them. Jesus was willing to be erased for you. You see, he takes you seriously. And he takes the things that hurt you seriously. He takes your broken heart seriously. He takes your confusion seriously. He takes the dark night of the soul of your own life seriously. The moments where you don't believe or struggle and find yourself in that same muck again, Jesus took seriously and takes seriously. And so he finished it. To tell us die. <laughs> it is finished. As Jesus died, he covered your shame. In Hebrews chapter 12, it says this. I'm almost done. Hebrews 12 says this. Let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Are you tired this year? Yeah. Let's run with endurance. How are we going to do that? Looking unto Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. You see, the writer of Hebrews is clear. If you're going to finish the race, you have to keep your eyes on Jesus. And not just the glorified Jesus, yes, but also remember the humbled, humiliated Jesus who went into the cross and despised the shame that he suffered on Good Friday. Why did he do that? He said it right there. Who for the joy that was set before him. Which well was the joy? Well, it was you. You were on the other side of Calvary. And so Jesus looks at Calvary and says, you, redemption, are worth this to me. 
Nothing will separate you from the love of God. And so in going to his cross, Jesus died and was despised. The writer of Hebrews also tells us in chapter 2 that Jesus, in his death and resurrection, is not ashamed. Here's that word, shame. He is not ashamed to call you brothers and sisters. Can you believe that? That after all (laughs) that he went through, and as poor as we've turned out to be oftentimes as disciples, Jesus is not ashamed of you. Jesus isn't embarrassed by you. Jesus doesn't blush when he thinks about you. When the accuser mocks you before his throne, Jesus isn't embarrassed about you. Jesus knows you, loves you, cares for you, and delights in you. He despised that cross because of the joy that he found in redeeming you and bringing you back into the family of God. And that is good news. So as Jesus is our Yom Kippur, our Passover, as Jesus covers our shame, the glory of God covers the earth. And this is why we sing, He is worthy. Let's take a moment and give our sin to Jesus and be reminded that we are the righteousness of God. Thank you all for listening. Love you.